Well, good evening to you all. Happy Epiphany. We seem to go from one beautiful and meaningful and glorious season in this Christian calendar to another, don't we? As we contemplate the glorious good news that we can see and that we can savor and that we can show. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we hear you this evening. Awaken our hearts that we might savor you. That we might show you just as those wise men showed the Lord and His glory to the ends of the earth. Lord, may we also demonstrate and show in detail the glorious good news. Yes, Lord, help us to see you this evening. Help me, Lord, to speak clearly, to do so truthfully, and to do so worshipfully. So may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Show me one who is brave, and I will show you someone who has a clear vision. And that's what we see here on this Epiphany Day, right? And this manifestation of Christ, we see a clear vision. A few years back, I heard a similar quote. It goes like this. The bravest are surely those who have the clearest vision of what is before them, glory and danger, and yet notwithstanding, go out to meet it. Those are the bravest. Those who have a clear vision. These words characterize the wise men in the gospel before us. They had a clear vision of what was before them. They had relentless bravery that despite the distance and the difficulty, despite the obstacles to be overcome, they succeeded to become not just one of the first recorded eyewitnesses of Christ's birth, but one of the first who worshipped him too. But how? There's more here in this gospel story than admiration for these wise men. Here we find spiritual lessons to be learned. Valuable and important lessons for the heart. Lessons that demand our attention. If we will ever be true worshipers, if we will ever worship in spirit and in truth... And we must listen to this gospel story, this glorious day. What we will find is the God who shows up, gloriously shows up. And he shows up in unlikely, an unlikely place. He shows up to unlikely people. And he shows up in the most unlikely way. And when he does, true servants of God emerge, don't they? They suddenly emerge, just like these wise men. So I've titled this message, When God Shows Up, the Most Unlikely Are Made Servants of God. 
So what are the spiritual lessons to be learned from this passage? What might we learn on this holy epiphany day that Christians have gathered for centuries to remember such vital lessons? What are the lessons to be learned? This is the manifestation of Christ, the glorious gospel of seeing and savoring and showing the goodness and the glory of our salvation in Christ. And so the first lesson is that God shows up in unlikely places. Now we might expect the king of the Jews to make his first appearance in Jerusalem with Jews as his first witnesses. But to imagine, to imagine foreigners from a pagan land to be of the first to greet him in a crummy town of Bethlehem, that must have sounded absurd. Things are not as they seem. You've heard me say this many of times. And this seems to be a theme throughout the scriptures, I think. Things are not as they seem. Salvation may be from the Jews, but God's revelation power is by no means confined to them. The light of Christ shines in the most unlikely places. There's no safe place from Christ's manifestation. No safe place. He may just as well enlighten the pagan as he may enlighten the civilized. There's no action or association that can guarantee one's salvation. Not a religion, culture, class, or community, whether plebe or noble, whether poor or wealthy, raised in the church or raised in the world. Like the wise men, all for whom the Holy Spirit enlightens are made wise to salvation. It's neither slave neither free, neither Greek, neither Jew. Isn't that what Paul says in Galatians 3? There's no privileged status. No, he, goes, he shows up in the most unlikely places, revealing his glorious good news. How humbling. How good. Now we should expect to receive God's grace by certain means and in such milieus. For faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we would do well to remember that God is not tame. He's wild. And he should not be tame. He is wild and holy and loving. He is on the move. And this is good news for us. The Apostle Paul writes at the beginning of the fifth chapter in Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul's not describing Christ being subject to a higher moral principle, but that Christ is the author of it. Christ is freedom. He is wild and unpredictable, but he is freedom and he is salvation. You see, there's no place too distant for Christ's reach. Just as Christ revealed in the East, he reveals himself to the least. And while the holy wildness of God is sobering and frightening, it's even more freeing. Do you remember the freedom of Christ? 
Do you remember that day when Christ manifested his glory to you? When you begin to get a glimpse and a grasp of his glory, do you remember the freedom? It's not just for then, it's for today as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but his grace, his mercy, his glory is our salvation. He's the God who is love. God so loved the world, John writes. God shows up in the most unlikely places because He is wildly loving. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we peel back the layers of this God who shows up in the most unlikely places, we realize that His love shines much further than the East, doesn't it? It shines to every nation. Every people, the ones we like, the ones we don't like, our enemies, our foes, our allies. He shows up to all people. And like the wise men, it sets these people on fire with a love for him to find him, to find this king who is born of the Jews, this king of the Jews. You see, when true epiphany happens, it consumes us with the life of the holy other. And that is what this day is about. It's about the glory, the holiness of God. And when we get a glimpse of it, it consumes us. We cannot remain as we were inside ourselves. We must get out of ourselves, as C.S. Lewis writes. Is not this the great business of life, getting out of ourselves? How else could the wise men traveled so far and risked so much, but that they got out of themselves? And that's the glory, that's what the glory of the gospel does. God needed no help from outward means to manifest Christ's power. The Spirit may have assisted the wise men with the star, but the Spirit, even more, set their hearts aglow so that they got out of themselves and they got on the move. Those things that held them back in their kingdoms or in their homes no longer had a hold on them. They became free, liberated, on the move, in search of this God who consumed their hearts. And so I ask, are our hearts burning within us to see our Savior? It matters not where we are or what we do or what we have achieved. All that matters is whether our hearts are on fire to find and to worship this King Just as a lily will grow among thorns, or a pearl will grow at the bottom of the sea, our loving Savior may cause us to flourish in secret and challenging places, places where the pressure and the strangulation seems unbearable. How humbling is this? 
how humbling it is to recognize that there are those traveling to heaven for whom the world knows nothing. How humbling it is to know that there are those who are being strangled by the thorns of this world but are traveling to heaven. How humbling it is that there are those who are being just burdened with the pressures of this world, but they are traveling to heaven. You see, it matters little what we know and think, but that our hearts are burning within us, that we are traveling to heaven. Nothing else will do. It may suit our fancy. It may be therapeutic. May we, we may even dress it up and make it seem holy. But nothing will do unless it is the Spirit of God that awakens us and that leads us and that avails us to see the glory of God. That is what must consume our heart. The second lesson that we find is that God shows up among unlikely people. He shows up not only in unlikely places, but among unlikely people, those who have the most religious devotion are not always those who give God the greatest honor. We might imagine that the religious leaders would have been the first to go to Bethlehem, but this was not so. Instead, we have a few unknown strangers from a distant land. We should not presume that Herod or all of Jerusalem were ignorant on this matter of the Messiah. When the wise men asked King Herod in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We are told in verse 3 that Herod was troubled and so was all of Jerusalem. We are told that he gathered the scribes and chief priests together and asked where the Christ is to be born. Now notice the language that he uses. Notice how he uses not the same language as these wise men. He uses messianic language, calling this child the Christ. And then lastly, we are told that after Herod had asked his religious leaders this question, they answered him in verse 5, Bethlehem in Judea. You see, they were well acquainted with the coming of the Messiah. That was not the issue. The issue was as they were not interested in welcoming him. He came to his own and they received him not. Except the shepherds mentioned by Luke, it was those obscure foreigners who were the first to visit and rejoice at Christ's birth. How humbling. But not just humbling, but an indictment. This is an indictment for humanity and God's church. How often are God's gifts and blessings neglected by those closest to Him? How often is He rejected? We must never let ourselves become too familiar with the holy things 
that we forget the Holy One. And so let us pray that our devotion be not practiced for personal comfort, for therapy. Let it be practiced for Christ and His glory. It is the giver, not the gifts, that we ought to adore and to honor. So beware of comfort. If there is ever a time where such a warning is right, beware of comfort. Never has a society or a church been so surrounded and inundated by ease and comfort. If we are ever to find Christ like the wise men did, then we must live on the move, diligently searching for the light of Christ. Again, it was not the star that led these wise men as much as it was the Holy Spirit. Yes, we must listen. We must be awakened by this Holy Spirit so that we might search diligently and find and worship this King. How humbling it is to think that despite all our religious devotion over the years, we may miss Christ. But is this not the unassuming quality that characterizes the blessed recipients of the gospel? It is the humble, not the proud, for whom God reveals himself. It is the one for whom Mary describes in her Magnificat in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And it's who Jesus describes in, the, in his Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. The poor in spirit, the humble estate, the lowly, the unassuming. How else should we receive the God who cannot be confined and controlled or contained? If God is to show up among us, then we must be as unlikely of persons as these wise men before us. The servants of God always are. They are those who are willing to sell all that they have so that they might be nearer to their Lord. They are those who are willing to leave their thrones and their comforts and their wealth and their kingdoms to worship Him. So do not imitate Jerusalem. Do not imitate the chief priests and the scribes and Herod. No, imitate those strange wise men who faithfully journeyed from afar. Know this, those who might well expected to, or be expected to be last, will always, always be those who will be first in the kingdom of God. You see, true servants of God are always the most unlikely ones. And the last and the final lesson that we should learn is that God shows up in the most unlikely way. One may have knowledge of Scripture in the head, but not have faith in the heart. Look at the two different ways that we can travel, the two different ways that we can go. One is a foolish way, and one is a wise way. Notice how well acquainted the religious leaders were with the Scriptures, as we read in verse 5. But they never went to Bethlehem to seek for the coming Savior. They may have had knowledge in the head, 
but they did not have faith in their hearts. Unlike the wise men, they were not willing to follow the light of Christ. We must never be satisfied with head knowledge alone. It is useful only when grace is also in the heart. We must always remember that the most important change that is needed is a new heart. Look at how Herod inquired secretly about the star in verse 7. While the wise men searched publicly and diligently, four times the star is mentioned in these verses. In each instance, with the exception of Herod mentioning mentioning the star in verse 7, the star describes the wise men's devotion. The wise men were consumed with the star. For them, it was the light that would lead them to this God-appointed king. It was the light of Christ, and they were happy to make their devotion public. While the star may not have been important for Herod and the religious leaders, it was important for the wise men. If they were to ever worship the king, if they were to ever find him, then they must be led by the light of Christ. We must be led by the light of Christ too. If we are to worship in spirit and truth, it must go before us. And we must follow the light of Christ. It must show us ourselves. It must show us our Lord. It must show us our hope and show us where to go and how to live. The light of Christ is essential. Now, I know in the early days of the planting of all saints, that there was a debate among what the name of this church would be. And it was between all saints and the light of Christ. And I'm thankful that we still use this this name, Light of Christ. In fact, our chapel in the back here is the Light of Christ Chapel. Church, we must be led by the Light of Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else will make us sacred. Nothing else will make us that refuge church, that safe church that people are longing for in a society that desecrates in a society that knows nothing of a holy God, nothing else will manifest the glory of the gospel of Christ but the light of Christ. We must bring light into this world. And we can't let anything else get in our way. That is what we learn from these Wise men, see, we are beggars, indeed, we are blind men and women, waiting for the light of Christ to illuminate our hearts. So let us diligently look for it, so that when it shines like the wise men, we will be led by it. In verses 8 and 9, notice how Herod commissioned the wise men to search diligently for the child, yet did not follow Christ's star and never worshipped 
the child. The wise men searched diligently, and they were led by the light of Christ to discover the child and to worship him. But Herod did not. You see, the way of Herod is in action. The way of the wise is diligence and faith in action, and faith always is in action. You cannot be passive and be a true servant and worshiper of God. You must be active, on the move, because God is on the move, and he sets us free and makes us bold. Now look at verses two, verse 2 and verses two, 10 to 12. And see how Herod never intended to worship the child. While the wise men sincerely worshipped the child before they had ever met him. When we see the light of Christ, do we rejoice exceedingly with great joy like the wise men? Do we see the Christ despite our situation? Do we envision his promises for us fulfilled? Do you envision his promises for you fulfilled? The heavenly vision? Do you contemplate and consider what it would be like on that glorious day? Let's learn of the saints of old and let us think and consider and contemplate and journal what it will be like on that glorious day, we need the light of Christ if we are to be led by Christ. You see, there is no passivity but action here when living in the most unlikely way. No delegation will do. Your heart must be personally affected. Your life must be filled with worship and you must see Christ and his promises fulfilled. What great trouble we should expect to encounter on this way. For the cost is great, but like those wise men, may we prove ourselves diligent. Now they must have experienced great fatigue and danger on their travels. But none of these things kept them from finding Christ, did they? Their hearts were filled. They were set Upon seeing the King of the Jews, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so must ours be filled with that same power. Is not the meaning of epiphany, is not this the meaning of epiphany? The manifestation of the glory of the gospel of Christ Jesus and being filled by the power of the Spirit to see and to savor and to show His glory and His good news. You see, like the wise men, we must believe in Him without seeing Him. We must believe in Him when others do not. The wise men saw no miracle upon seeing this child, this Christ child, yet they believed. They saw nothing but a young child, and yet they believed that they saw the Savior of the world. They fell down and worshipped Him, we are told in verse 11. Servants of God, may we be found in the most unlikely places. 
May we be the most unlikely people. May we travel on this most unlikely way. And may we worship this most glorious and good King. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.